Oh, my bad. Children's church. Boys and girls, five-year-olds, fifth and second graders. That's good. Head up the children's church. That made it easier. The legs were <laughs> a little pause. You all right? Yeah, I'm good. Okay. An elderly lady said to me one day, when you have been seated a long time, stand up and do this as if you're looking for someone. <laughs> and it works, I'll tell you what. The, the knees are better once you do that. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you again. And I would invite your attention to First Peter. And uh, as we consider some things that I think are appropriate for the beginning of a new year. Our subject we are considering is, uh, where is the promise of his coming? That shows up in this uh, passage in 2 Peter chapter 3. I'd invite your attention to that, and I'd like to read the first 13 verses with you, uh, the word of God being our guide. Beloved, verse 1 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter, beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Where is the promise of his coming? That's the question before us this morning, as Peter states it. You will recall, if you watched the news as I did, 
over the weekend, uh, just before uh, the celebration of New Year's, that there was a problem in Germany, in uh, Munich particularly. They said that there was an imminent terror threat, and they closed down two of the railroad stations in the city of Munich. Did any of you see that advertisement? Well, it's not an advertisement, uh, that announcement. Yes, imminent danger. And I thought when I saw that, that's a word that doesn't show up very often, imminent. It is a good theological word. Imminent means at any moment. That's why they closed down those stations. It could happen at any given time. The early church had a problem with the return of the Lord. The timing of it particularly. If you were a Thessalonian, you may well have uh, closed down business and gone out to the hillside to wait for the return of the Lord because you thought it was going to be very soon. In fact, our choir has a song they sing as they go around. It's kind of their signature uh, number. Soon and very soon. We're going to see the Lord. And that's how it goes on. Hallelujah. And uh, they even try to get some rhythm into it. It's kind of hard, but uh, they try anyhow. You know? <laughs> soon and very soon. Oh, we've been singing that for 2,000 years. How soon is that? You know. Uh, the, the Thessalonians thought it was soon so they could quit their jobs because he's going to come back right now, soon. By the time Peter is writing, he is uh, saying this, or at least people are saying this, where's the promise of his coming? By now they were not thinking soon. They were thinking this is passed off into history. The Lord is dead. He's not coming back at all. All things continue as they were from the beginning. Some of you have been thinking, he's going to intervene, God's going to intervene. No, no, he's not. It goes on from the beginning to the end this way. And they were confused about that. The word imminent is the word we need to know. It is at any moment. Not necessarily soon. I said after the last meeting to one of the folk, if my wife were living, I'd use an illustration that I used when she was living, but it's still a good illustration. Uh, we'd go out to the mall, and she said, I only have one thing I need to buy. I'll be back very soon. <laughs> why are you laughing? <laughs> you all know why. That's why I carried books in the car. Yeah. Uh, soon is like this. If she'd have said imminent, it would have been another story. That's right at any moment. It can happen in a moment of time. An imminent terror threat can happen at any time. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the return of the Lord. It can happen at any time. From that day to this day, it could happen at any time. It could happen in the next minute. Let's see if it does. when I need a sweet second here, but we'll do okay.
Are you enjoying this part of the sermon? <laughs> it didn't happen. Could he have come back at that time? Answer, yes. Yes. Now, I grew up in a family uh, in which my father was very interested that we be aware that the Lord could come at any time. I grew up in a simpler age. Do I sound old when I say something like that? <laughs> From zero to 18, we had uh, family devotions at the dinner table. Yes, we ate dinner together every night virtually. And it was a good meal. My mom was a great cook. You can tell that. Uh, residual benefits. And we'd all sit there and have the nice meal. And uh, then it was our custom as a family to read the Bible through. And we'd, we'd read one chapter, began in Genesis, went through the whole Bible, and just kept doing that, kept doing that. For 18 years I did that. And we'd read a chapter, each of us two verses. That was a wonderful experience. Much harder to do nowadays uh, because of the busyness of schedule that both adults and children have. But it, it is a good goal to set forward. At the end of that reading, we would have prayer. My father would pray, and then he taught us, and we all repeated all the 18 years of my growing up in the family, the passage from 1 Thessalonians, because he wanted us to be aware of the return of the Lord, that it could be at any moment of time, and that should fashion our priorities and the way we conduct life. So we would repeat a passage, some of you may know the passage. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. How many of you know it to quote? Would you like to? If you, I'll quote it for you. I'll come along with if you can. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? And every day we were reminded of that fact, that the Lord could come today, and we would be caught up to be with him at that moment in time. That was so embedded in my life as a, as a youngster, uh, in bed by myself at night, I'd awaken, and if there was no sound in the house, that was a scary experience. I missed it. It really it gives one uh, encouragement to come to faith in Jesus Christ. You understand that. And you so rejoiced uh, that you heard a sound from one of the other of the family. My father did a lot of things like that at communion service, time after time. When I was a little kid, I, you know how little children like to have the bread and the cup as it goes by. My father said, "You can't have that. You're going to hell." <laughs> well, that brought conviction as well. I want to tell you, <laughs> but I'm glad for that. And uh, my kids will tell you I'm not very far down the line of diplomacy that my father practiced as well. You see, the, the coming of the Lord should be uh, part of our 
thought process every day. It really is uh, what the Apostle John says, that hope that causes us to be pure. He that has that hope in himself, the hope of the coming of the Lord, keeps himself pure that we not be ashamed at his coming. When he comes, we want to be executing his priorities in our lives at that given moment. That we not be ashamed at his coming. It is our hope. We live with that in view. It sets our whole system of priorities in life. The early church, as I say, had problems with that. And the apostle Peter is going to address that and tell us what kind of attitude we should have in he shows us the attitude of God as well. First, the attitude of the scoffers. Where's the promise of his coming? If the early church had a problem that it was taking so long that people were making fun, think of what they would be saying now, which they are saying now. Where's the promise of his coming? It's not a year or 10 years or 20 years. It's 2,000 years. You have to be a realistic person. It's not really going to happen, folks. But it is. That's the attitude of the scoffers. Everything goes as it has. It's called uniformitarianism. All things continue as they were from the beginning. Here's another day. There'll be another day. There'll be another day. There'll be another day. Just get used to that idea. And live for the now. Instead of a long-range plan of some sort. They mocked us. And if you go out to the average person on the street and you will say to them, you know, this is what I believe. I don't know what you believe, but this is what I believe. I believe that the Lord could come in any moment, and at any moment in time when that would happen, I would be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, up where the clouds are, where the airplanes fly, and then I would go on beyond the galaxies into the third heaven. With a glorified body, of course. Better be glorified or we'd be dropping like flies at about 3,000 feet. You know, We get another whole kind of a body, a glorified body. Like our Lord's glorified body, that's the promise. People don't believe that. Do you believe that? That we're going to go into outer space, beyond space, into what Paul called the third heavens? Yes, that's going to happen. The Lord will come. The scoffers were opposed to that. Now the problem is, it has been a long time. Early on in the church, they were mocking the delay of the Lord's return. And Peter goes on to correct that mocking attitude and say, I want you to see God's attitude to time. And it's in that verse verse 9, uh, verse 8, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. This is not a formula. This is not telling us that one day is a thousand days with God and a thousand with one. This is telling us that God is not bound by time. He's not hassled by time. He's the inventor of time. Before creation, there was not a time sequence 
When God created, time started, created the angels. That's when time started. That's the first beginning of anything, the beginning of the angels. And then time starts. Einstein said this, if you ask me what time it is, I can tell you that clearly. It's, if you'd like to know, 20 to 12. That's easy. If you want me to tell you what time is, that's more difficult. Time is a sequence of events of some sort or another. God is not bound by that. God invented it. It does not mean, when I say that, that God does not relate to us uh, in an eternal present tense. He, he relates to us in a past, present, future mentality. The word is written that way. Our past sins are not presently in his mind, in language for us to understand. He has uh, separated from as far as the east is from the west. He has forgotten them in a sense. An omniscient God cannot forget, but you understand the concept. He relates to us on a time basis. But he is not bound by time. He's not in a rush. I had a perplexing situation this morning. Luke, you will need to know this. <laughs> Kadim was going to ride over with me this morning. Okay? And I knew what time I had to leave to get here on time. And Kadim was going to be, one of our students was going to be at the house to ride with me. So... I'm in a perplexed situation. I am bound by time. And I say, what must I do? Well, I couldn't be late for this, could I? Answer to that, no. And so Kadeem is back in Dubuque doing something. Do you have any idea what? And <laughs> uh, uh, I had a guilty conscience the whole way over. Do you know what I'm saying? He's supposed to be with me. He wanted to see his good friends from the school. He had a free meal, probably. Something like that. <laughs> you know. And uh, time was in the way for him and for me. My son called me up from Green Bay. He's the one that arranged for the transportation. and said, Kadeem's taxi was late or something. And I said, I had to leave. And he said, I know. We're all bound by time. Do you get that? And it puts tension on us. I'm going to be late. It's not going to work. Exams are coming. Deadlines all the time. God's not hassled. He's not having time. Oh, man, I've got to get this all done. I don't have enough time. Now, that helps us. Do you get perplexed over what's going on in the world? It seems to be chaotic, doesn't it? Things are happening in our country at a breakneck pace. I was uh, reading last evening. I like to listen to music, and I was reading a long chapter about Chopin. Any of you like Chopin particularly? It's wonderful, isn't he? Invented a whole new way of playing the piano. And I was reading about that and, and, and enjoying that in the whole process of it. Time. And I read at the close of the book, this great big thick book on all the composers, that uh, 
we live in a day when there has been no succession of great composers. It has stopped. In fact, what music is, is even discussed now. And alas, unless the whole world changes, that will not change. And what he was saying is this great line of composers has come to a dead end because we have lost the hold of things in a chaotic world. I saw one of the commercials for one of the colleges where a girl took a, there was a, a painting in process and she took a, a container of blue paint. Did any of you see this one? And threw it on the painting. And they called it creativity. I called it spilling. <laughs> you know. Well, seriously, it is viewed that way. That, that, and so it, there's chaos in our world because the world is looking like the inhabitants of it. Who, and the interesting thing in this musical discussion, it happened in the 70s. And that's when we left the Judeo-Christian ethic as a guiding principle in our country. It's amazing. It all coincides, and it looks very chaotic. It look like, looks like, God, well, do something about it. Can't you intervene? That's the question. Where's this judgment? There's not going to be any judgment. Yes, there is. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, that is the return of the Lord, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is long-suffering. That's why God does not intervene directly. He knows how to. In the second chapter of 2 Peter he gives all these illustrations as to how he has judged people. He knows how to do that. But he is long-suffering toward us. Why? He is long-suffering toward us so that folk can come to salvation. That's why he doesn't intervene. That's why the Lord has not come back for 2,000 years, because he has a plan of redemption taking place. That has included you and has included me, and includes children that are sitting in this room even now, some of whom may not yet be saved. And he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any of us should perish. This is theologically a difficult verse. There are three or four ways you can work your way through it. If you come to school in April, uh, about the last week in April, I'll be dealing with 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'll tell you the right view, okay? Guaranteed. <laughs> Uh, you know, Peter said in 1 Peter, if any man preach, let him speak as the oracles of God. Uh, if you have German background, that's pretty easy to do. You understand that. Uh, the fact of the matter is, it is a difficult verse, but at the essence of this verse is this fact. God is in the saving business. And that's why he's long-suffering. There may be somebody here who has heard the gospel message over and over again. It may be a child who uh, 
uh, was frightened uh, last night when the house was so silent. That needs to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he is long-suffering toward us. That's why he delays his coming. Delay is not even a good word to use with God. That's why he has not come back earlier. He has a schedule that we should not perish. And he's interested in people coming to salvation. And he sent his son to demonstrate that and to make that possible. So the attitude of God is, I'm not rushed with time. I am ruling in a serene way, executing my will perfectly. And when the appropriate time is there, as we've heard already, the one who was sent at the beginning will be sent again and will receive us unto himself. Jesus promised that. I go away. And if I go away, I will come again to receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I'd like to address that concept itself. In this chapter, we have three days mentioned. The day of Christ, which is the return of the Lord for us. I'll come again that where I am, there you may be also. Now what you have to keep in mind always, once we are with the Lord at the rapture, the Lord will descend, will be caught up, and be with him wherever he is, we are then. For the first seven years, we will be in heaven with him. On earth there will be tribulation. We will be having sweet fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven with all the other believers. And he will say, excuse me for one moment, I have to go and open another seal. And a third of the population of the earth will be destroyed. And then he'll come back and talk to us. And we'll have fellowship with him. And that'll go on for a seven-year period. Until the wrath of the Lamb, isn't that a strange statement? The wrath of the Lamb is poured out on the earth. And then he will come back, and we will come back with him. Wherever he is, we are. We'll be caught up to be with him in the air. We'll be with him for seven years while the earth is suffering tribulation. Then he'll come back to establish his kingdom. We'll come back with him. He has made us a kingdom of priests, and we will rule with him on the earth. We'll come back with him, and we'll be here on this same good earth for a thousand years. We may be even meeting in the same building if it's not destroyed in the tribulation. Could well be. For a thousand years, we'll all be together. That's a very complex uh, demographics during that time, which we won't go in. But we'll be with the Lord for a thousand years. And then there's another day mentioned here. That's the day of the Lord when he is ruling supreme. In verse 12, there is the day of God. That's a different day. That's the day when God destroys this earth and creates a new heavens. New heaven, because it's been contaminated. Satan's been in and out of there thousands of times. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness finally finds a home, where it dwells there forever. New heaven and a new earth. The picture is like this. We are caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We go to heaven with all the other saints, and we're there for seven years. Then we come back to earth and reign for a thousand years, 
And then there's a new heaven and a new earth, which is eternity future. It's always like that. You want to do those motions? It's real easy to do. Okay, let's do the rapture. We're caught up, boom, with him. We go to heaven. During seven years of tribulation on earth, we're with him in the heaven, in heaven. Then we come back, and we're with him for a thousand years on earth. He destroys that earth, creates a new heaven and a new earth. You got that? If the Lord, here's one day, I like this. One day, seven years, seven years, thousand years, eternity. That's the way it works. It's real easy to remember. We will be with the Lord that entire time. That's our hope. A certain hope to be with the Lord. Reign with him. Be with him eternally. You see, God's in charge of time. He's got all that worked out. The day of Christ, the day of the Lord, the day of God, and we will be with him from the day of Christ on. We'll be caught up to be with the Lord in the judgment seat of Christ, the fellowship of heaven, the glories of the millennium, and then the wonderful eternal state where God will dwell with us and we with him forevermore. That is the future that is before us. Now, on this part, when he comes back at the end, he's going to destroy this earth that he holds together. Listen to what it says again. The elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that in it will be burned up. This is biblical global warming. Do you understand that? <laughs> Do I believe in global warming? I believe in a really big global warming. <laughs> it's all going to be destroyed. I also know that's a thousand seven years at least down the line before it all gets destroyed. Now you'll say, you may well say, you're not an environmentalist. And I will tell you this, every Christian should be an environmentalist. You understand? We take care of God's green earth. My father, I referred to him already, would not allow me to throw peanut shells on the floor of the stadium at a baseball game, okay? That's a crazy environmentalist. <laughs> yeah, I, you can do that virtually and not. No, Dave, and you throw something out the window of the car, you're really in trouble, all right? Because it's God's green earth we're taking care of, right? We are to bring it into submission, made in the image and likeness of God. But yes, God is gonna destroy this earth one day. Now, out of that, <coughs> comes a very important lesson. Dr. Dan Smith, uh, presently the chancellor of the college for a lot of years president, had a statement that he made many times, and I, I quote it often. God's only going to save one thing out of this earth. You know what it is? People. Now, that's, that's a priority in life. It really does. Only the people are made in the image and likeness of God. And he has provided salvation for people fallen, marred, but still the image and likeness of God. The important thing is people. The important thing is our children. 
The important thing is our family. The important thing is the people we contact day by day in our Christian experience. And they need to hear this message, the message of salvation. He's long-suffering. He's, he's got that all in his divine schedule according to his appointment. And it looks like he's not intervening, but it looks that way only from our vantage point. He is working it out for salvation purposes, and we're involved in that process of communicating the gospel to the people that need to hear it. In our day-by-day lifestyle, in the way we value life, in the way we treat one another and treat the unsaved folk that we meet day by day. An important concept of why it seems like he is waiting so long. He is waiting so long for salvation to execute his plan. And we are part of that. Now I find great comfort in this. Where is the promise of his coming? God has never broken a promise. He cannot do that or he would not be God. And though it seems like there is such chaos and it seems like things are getting worse and worse, remember the first, first verse uh, that in these last days perilous times shall come. Scoffers will come in the last days. We're in the midst of that. And we are not saying that, oh man, it's falling apart. No, it's precisely on God's serene plan. And salvation is being executed through that. And we are the divine instruments. Do you remember when Jesus said to his disciples, you do gre- you'll do greater works than I have done? It's true. Greater in number. Greater in sphere. A little nation of Palestine as compared to the whole of the world. Greater in the sense that imperfect people take a perfect message and salvation is the result. We are involved in that ministry while he is not here. That's up to us. We're the ones through which the light of the gospel shines. And we need to have that priority because God is only going to save people out of the whole process. This helps me with how I face another year with God's priorities. Counting important what he counts important and making every decision based on that set of priorities. God's long-suffering for salvation. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this year may be one in which we more efficiently and effectively through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit live a life based on your priorities. Priorities that bring salvation. We thank you for your great grace and ask your blessing on this coming year for your glory and for our spiritual benefit we pray in your son's name. Amen.